So yeah, I used to go to grammar school, and I it was like a neighborhood like this. So I went to grammar school, and I lived around the corner from the grammar school. So I'd go home for lunch, and sometimes I'd go home. Sometimes my old man would be there, and we would talk and stuff, and he would tell me a few things, you know. And uh, one time he sat me down. I remember this, and he said, "Son, I don't have nothing to give you. you know, I don't have much money." He said, "But I'm gonna tell you these three things that could probably help you in your life." He said, "Number one." is to have faith in yourself as well as the Lord. And he said, number two, is to always hope for the best, but be prepared for the unexpected. And number three was to be charitable to others, and they would be charitable to you. And that's kind of been our business plan. And that's how we've approached it all, you know, and uh, it's kind of worked so far. Hi, my name is Ellie Cody, and this is Manhattan Sideways. On today's episode, I interview Santo Molika, co-owner, alongside his wife, Margaret, of The Source Unlimited Print and Copy Shop. This interview was recorded before the onset of the pandemic, and Santo's shop has recently been closed in accordance with regulation. However, he hopes to be open again soon and is very much looking forward to working with you. In the meantime, here's what Betsy Bober-Pallaby, founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about The Source. Santo and his wife, Margaret, have owned the source for some 40 years. They've also lived right upstairs over their shop through the decades. For all intents and purposes, the couple grew up together on 9th Street as they were only in their early 20s when they moved here in 1979. Who had a better lens to look through to describe the East Village to us than these two? From its early days, their business took on a life of its own. Santo had been doing layouts for his friends in the arts and music world and taking them elsewhere to be printed. He then began to specialize in printing and copying at the source, something almost unheard of at the time. Santo describes the evolution of the source over the decades in a humble way, but it took a lot of ingenuity to keep up with the changing landscape of the East Village and the rapid pace of technology. Initially, specializing in layout and design, Santo and Margaret learned to convert VHS tapes to DVDs and cassettes to CDs. And, according to Santo these days, not everyone has given up on paper or faxing. In addition, the couple does a lot of business online as well as printing stickers and business cards, creating custom hardwood stamps, scanning, binding, laminating, and selling everything from batteries to sidewalk chalk. Listeners will undoubtedly enjoy taking a journey with Santo as he reflects not only on owning a small business, but also as he delves into what life on the streets of the East Village in all of its iterations has been like. As Santo shared the history of the neighborhood in its heyday, Ellie and I learned about the musicians, the writers, and the beat poets who frequented the source. Please join us and take a laid-back trip with Santo as he reflects on the good times and the difficult ones while owning a small business in the East Village. All right, so if I could just have you introduce yourself and tell me the name of your business. Sure, uh, my name is Santo Malika, and the name of the business is The Source Unlimited Print and Copy Shop. Okay, and when did you start your business, Santo? We started back in 1982. With It was with your wife, correct? Uh, yeah, 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 both of us started. Uh-huh. Yeah. And what do you do here at The Source? Uh, well, kind of like the name implies, printing, uh, uh, copying, photocopying, uh, sell stationary supplies, uh-huh. uh, some digital duplication, CDs, DVDs, 
uh, things of that nature, business cards, letterheads, you know, all things related to printing as well as some other stuff that's not. <laughs> I would love to start out by having you tell me the story of opening the business and how this happened. Well, basically, I was doing a lot of odd jobs and whatnot around, just, you know, coming out of school and whatnot. And uh, I was doing a lot of layout and design. And it, at that time, the industry in general it was none of these kind of quick joint places. It was mostly the printing industry where you used to have to print large quantities of things. And it was a little more involved. You had to know a lot more and, and be a lot more educated in how to do those things. You're running a press, how to make plates. So I'd be doing these layouts and designs for like uh, bands, actors, actresses, press kits, things like that. And then trying to get them printed was a little bit rough because these people didn't really want mass quantities and stuff. They just wanted you know, a little bit. And there was a few shops around. But the quality of things wasn't so good. The machines weren't there yet in terms of quality. You know, so it was very hard to find something good, which reflected on my layout and design. People they blame the messenger most of the time. And then around that time, it was when the Japanese started making all these smaller machines that had really good quality to them that were replacing some of the American machines, Kodak, Xerox. They would take up rooms, I mean, literally. These huge rooms, man. It was like, okay. So, like, these other guys, though, they started coming out with these. They called them desktop, but it was, I mean, it was bigger than desktop, but still quite small. So, I got a lease, got a machine. I had the storefront. I had been in here since 79. So, I figured, you know, have the space, you know, try something. Things started going, and people started coming, and it kind of took on life of its own. And then kept going. And uh, it was always doing it until something better came along. I think it's around 30-some-odd years, so nothing better came along yet, but still looking. (laughs) Still looking? (laughs) What would that be, if it could be anything? Uh, I don't really know, to tell you the truth. I mean, it would have to just be something to, uh, you know, sweep me off my feet kind of thing. I don't even know. I mean, uh, that's why I probably never found me. I don't know if there is anything better. So were you doing something in this space before the Source Unlimited opened here? A, f- a few different things. I had a little rehearsal space for a short while, but that didn't sit too well with the neighbors. Uh, we actually ran some acoustic shows and stuff. We would have like uh, an evening of music and magic. I used to do some shows when I was doing my own music. I would have a this magician who used to live across the street, so we would do double bills. And I'd get some other people to come in. We'd have some comedians come. Did that for a little while, and uh, that got shut down because there used to be a place a few doors down that was... a. Uh, well, it was like a psychedelic church, that's what it was. And they would be doing whatever they're doing. And one of the last times that we really had the show here, somebody called the fire department on them. But because we were here with the door open, they didn't have any, they hadn't, like their window was a, a, a plywood, so you couldn't even see through or anything like that. So they were all closed in. Firemen come by, they see that we had a regular gate, you know, with the window and stuff. So firemen looking in here. You can't do that in there. Firemen came, they got everybody out, and uh, we got shut down for doing the shows. You know? Wow. So that was the end of that. So that, that ended kind of quick. Uh, and then, then the store happened, and it was like, okay, let's see. Let's see what happens. Can you speak about the kind of people that you were working with to start out with, and then how that's changed over time? Customers that would come in? Mm-hmm. Well, it was more, uh, it was definitely was more of a neighborhood thing. Uh, a lot of the writers would come in that lived around here, you know, Alice Notley, Bernadette Mayer. Larry Fagan, people like that. It was part of the poetry project over on St. Mark's. Bands, a lot of bands would come in and do their flyers. That's when you could do flyers and hang them up before Giuliani came in. Then once he came in, there was this big band on, uh, you know, it's quality of life nonsense. So, you know, not only did the squeegee guys get busted, but you couldn't hang flyers up. And if you did hang flyers up, there'd be a fine of like $100 per sheet. And they would actually go to the clubs and say, oh, you know, we saw these flyers. So they would hassle the clubs. Clubs in turn would hassle the musicians, 
So that kind of stopped pretty quick. So when all that happened, how did your customer base change? Because I imagine maybe the musicians were looking for something different or... I mean, there were still places where you could leave stuff. So, I mean, that was a a thing, too, where you could leave cards or leave flyers. You know, there was more laundromats. There was more uh, smaller cafes. So it went to that instead. Instead of people doing a flyer, they would do cards or something, like uh, handout cards and stuff. And uh, But the poets kept writing, the writers kept writing, whatever else came your way. Co-op started happening, so you start getting prospectus things, you know, that there was like, you know, a book of what the co-op was about and all the tests and how much things cost. So my cat usually says when one thing leaves, something else comes in. And that's kind of what happened. As soon as one thing would go, something else would pick up its place. started doing CD dupes for bands that were doing demos, and I started picking up on that. After that, then, you know, that died a little bit. Then there was a big a big time when we were doing T-shirts, iron-on transfers for T-shirts. So almost every year there was another little something. You just never know, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the world that is going to take you somewhere. So you just try to surf it, see where you wind up, which you can do in a small business. You can see what's, what's happening today. Oh, okay, I'm going to do this. And then you do it. How did do. you keep up with the changing technology? How did you teach yourself how to use it? Yeah, just started doing you know, a lot of mistakes. <laughs> that's how, I mean, that's my way. Other people have other ways. But I mean, my own thing has always been just do it. And if it doesn't work, do it again. And yeah. see why. Don't do it that way, though, because that didn't work. So try another way. And at some point, you're going to hit it. I mean, I mean, I'm not a big believer in genius, per se. You know, So, I mean, to me, it's like I see somebody doing something. I'm like, well... If that guy's doing it, I can do it too. Just got to figure out how. I mean, that's what's usually behind genius. Music, sports, those things are like 90% failure things. You know, people see the finished product, but they don't see the rehearsal. They don't see the workouts and all that stuff when you really suck. And you're like, okay, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. You know, failure, repetition, failure, repetition. And at a certain point, you get good at that. And then now it's like, oh, now I got to learn this. So I just figured this one out. Now I got to learn this. And it's just constant. Mm-hmm. So once you get that, I mean, I've been playing since I was a kid. That was always there. I was playing music and playing sports. So it's like I knew failure is how you succeed. That's really it. And and if you don't fail, you're pretty much not going to succeed. That's what it comes down to. Or if you succeed, it'll be at a minor level. If you really want to make it happen, mm-hmm. you got to like push and take some chances, and you fall, you fall, no big deal. You just keep going. Now, you mentioned a couple of the other businesses around the area Mm -hmm. um, that you you work with or you know the people who own them. Mm -hmm. What's your relationship like generally to the businesses in the neighborhood? Oh, I would think pretty good. I mean, I hope, you know. Uh, <laughs> as far as you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what they're saying when I ain't around, but uh, we, we have a good relationship. You know, we try to help out. Anybody who's starting, I mean, my thing is if somebody's starting something, I'm definitely willing to help out with that. That's what the fun part of it is. You see somebody mm-hmm. getting their own and, and doing it. So that's fun. We did this other thing. Well, let me get this card, get the card for you. Mm-hmm. We did a... Mm-hmm. There was this famous photograph it was called uh, a great day in harlem it was uh, all these musicians who lived up in harlem they came together this guy art kane i believe it was he, he set it up and did this photograph and i always wanted to get something like that for the people on ninth street and do something you know that we could so on this day we got these are mostly merchants with a few tenants thrown in there but mostly they're all the merchants on the block and we did a great day on 9th Street. So uh, we have Veselka, who has a restaurant the on the Ukrainian corner. Diner, yeah, Ukrainian yeah. diner. Uh, immigrant bar down the street here. Next to me is uh, Spark Pretty. Oh, yeah. Amanda. Yep. And, uh, and then the other one on the other side of Margaret. Margaret's sitting there next yep. to me on my right. And then uh, the one from the Grannies, Village Grannies. Oh, yeah. That's her. 
the duo girls, they're in the back of her, on the as we're looking on the right hand side there. Uh, well, it's local clothing. It's a, a lot of people on the block. Oh. Cloak and Dagger, oh, Brooklyn, her name is, and uh, we've had some on the block lately. There's uh, the the newbies have really uh, added a, a good energy and, a, and a, a positive influence, and then they've been women too, which is really a great thing. Like Amanda and Brooklyn, the two of them have been really putting out really a positive energy and uh, and just have added something to it that. Uh, that we didn't have before, like a, a newness kind of thing. Things get stale after a while, too. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, law of nature, I guess. So you got some new people coming in, and they bring their thing, but they also, these are people who didn't just, they're not just here and saying, oh, well, forget the past, we're here. Like, they wanted to embrace that mm-hmm. and take it to another place, too. The duo girls, the grannies, too, because they bring back a little bit of the past. We have Pam from Dinosaur Hill down the street. Can you speak more about the history of the East Village and your personal experience here? I mean, the history of it is kind of, uh, there's been a lot of things through the years, that's for sure. What I would say, my point from the Beats on, you know, when, when the Beat Poets were here, they had their their time. Ginsburg and them lived around here and, and still did. Ginsburg used to come in when he was around, when he was with us. And that evolved into the hippies and Fillmore East and all of that, which I guess most people have that as their reference point or what have you, you know. Besides the landlords, what have been some of the biggest challenges of owning a small business on a side street in New York? Well, paying the bills, definitely that. I mean, it's uh, getting traffic down the street. That's always a hard thing, getting people down. And again, it's New York, you know, so people, they can go anywhere, man. I mean, there's so many places people can go in New York. So getting them down here, getting them to spend a few dollars, you know, that those, those are the big challenges, I think, right now. You know, getting traffic in. And then when they do get in, realizing that you're charging what you have to charge, sometimes it seems there's almost an adversarial relationship between customers and, and people behind the counter that they think, oh, they're just trying to take my money or something, you know, or they're trying to get whatever they can get out of me. Or, you know, this whole bargaining mentality of, you know, as if everything's a flea market. And it's like not everything is negotiable. You charge something because you kind of have to charge that to keep things going. And people have to understand that as consumers that, you know, you gotta, you just got to try to keep things fair on both sides, I think, as consumers. Because you're also, everybody's a consumer. When I'm not behind the counter, I'm buying stuff too, you know. So I try to support people that think of being righteous, and I hope uh, I get the same in turn. That's how I think of it. Tell me about some of the more eclectic items that you carry in the shop now, please. And how do you decide what to keep in the front of the shop? Well, as you can see, there's not that much front or back to it. I mean, pretty no. much what we got is pretty much here. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, I think the cards that we got, uh, yeah. the the postcards and greeting cards, those are, uh, we make them ourselves, but we also have, we've just started like a line of uh, like East Village postcards and stuff, which they call views from the street. It's a lot of murals and things of that nature that, that I would see walking the dog, you know, and go, oh man, that looks good, you know, and uh, and that's been that's been going pretty well. Are lately. they your photos? Yeah, I take the photos, yeah, yeah I mean, and, and, make, and make postcards out of them, or greeting cards, you yeah. know, whichever. And it's good to capture those things, too, because you don't know how long they're going to be there for, before they get painted over or what have you. And we have some other artists that do cards that bring them over. Uh, there's a woman named Ali Dorian. She has, a like, a watercolor style that she does, which is kind of cool. Uh, De La Vega, a lot of his cards we carry. He used to have a... He's like a street artist, but he's graduated from street artist to doing art art. And he used to have a shop over on St. Mark's, and he would come in, and we would do a lot of his work, stickers and cards and stuff, and then he closed the shop up, and he said, if you want to carry them, carry your cards. So we started doing that. We got about seven of them or so, yeah, so it's, it's cool. That's a good thing. 
we've made a few other things like we do these uh they call that plain brown pouch bag and then, uh, and we have a plain brown journal which is basically just plain brown craft paper. <laughs> I love it. Very simple. <laughs> fountain pens. You know, you have disposable fountain pens, yeah. which are cool. You know, you got solar calculators wow. and uh, things of that nature. So yeah. a little bit of everything. If it interests us, Margaret, uh, she's the one who does the cards mostly. She picks the cards out and all the postcards and all that. We have a lot of different icons of music section. Mm-hmm. And we got like Mahalia Jackson, uh, Mingus, Polonius Monk. People that aren't, like you're not hearing them, you're not going to hear them on the radio, obviously. And uh, you probably won't come across them. But you see a picture of it, it might spur you. And then you might look at them up online and then you get turned on to it. So that's kind of the thing too. Try to use the cards to not just could be high mom but at the same time it's something else there that you go oh you know maybe a little a little history thing keep the arts alive in that respect things you're not going to see much anymore you know mm-hmm. we try to look for different people you know some that are with us some not it's fun having that and she has a good eye people really dig the card so it's good that she's able to do that how do people tend to find out about you uh we got a pretty good online presence yeah we show up a lot more Margaret's like our IT person, and she put together a really good website, and she works Google and all these other, whatever else is out there for her to work. We have, you know, Instagram thing going on. But we get a lot online. We get, uh, and, and it reaches all over. We've, we've done stuff, uh, these, these people were from um, Afghanistan, and they were coming here to do uh, a show. I think they were a rug company or something. And they were coming to do something at Jabbers and got this email and, and they were from Afghanistan. They wanted to do these, uh, like, kind of a lookbook of their stuff. And we did that and it was really cool. You know, you pay, I mean, the good thing of having of credit cards now is that people can do that. They pay with credit card. And, uh, you know, and then we had it delivered to their hotel and then that was it. You know, I never met them, but it was like, we kind of met over emails yeah. and stuff. But So that was cool. And then there were some people from Ireland that came over, same thing. They, they were coming to an event. They needed some things for their meeting to have done, books that needed bound and stuff. So that was good. You know, things like that. The World Wide Web is so. <laughs> Do you know what Margaret does to make you guys more visible online? You know, I couldn't say because that's more her thing. But yeah. I know that she, she does go in there and, and starts tweaking things every now and then. And every time that happens, there's usually a jump or something. I mean, besides doing a website, she built the whole website. We don't sell anything through the website. We're going to get something else going for that. But uh, but it's like a great business card to have online. But, Do you have yeah. any jobs that stick out in your mind as being particularly interesting or strange or surprising? Well, everything has its own challenge to it. I would say that. Most of the time, the things that when we're doing these is a time factor. I guess that's like the big thing. People usually ask for a lot. Be like, we need to buy tonight. Yeah, (laughs) like, and usually there's things that really take some time to do. Basically, the you know, ten pounds in a five pound bag thing, and trying to make that happen. We did uh, tour books. We did tour books for Arcade Fire. We just did one for Mumford and Sons, but that was cool. That was like the third one we did for Mumford and Sons. You know, those guys going on tour, they got like fifty people. So you're doing 50 books. Yeah. I mean, those always come last minute. And they're somewhere like, uh, I think Mumford and Sons were in Oregon or something. And they, he calls me like, you know, Friday afternoon and they needed it for Monday in Oregon. Right. <laughs> so, so we had to get it out to Oregon by that time. Wow. But, uh, and you did it? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't say no. You know. you know, that's part of the fun of it, too. You know, can you do it? Yeah, once you say you do it, you got to do it. That's the other side of it. You do know. you and Margaret have anyone else who works here with you? Not anymore, no. I mean, through the years, we've had different people working, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was never into telling people what to do. I mean, I'm, I'm not a good boss, really. <laughs> I would say, you know, we're all adults in the room. Figure out what you need to know and 
know it and then do your thing, I do mine, and we can coexist. But if I got to be looking over your shoulder, well, I might as well just do it myself, and I don't need to. I don't need that. I mean, that's not. What, I didn't want my life to be that. I was never a boss, and I don't. I never liked it. I never liked, when I had people, I didn't like it. You know. Plus, it was like I'm responsible for whatever goes out anyway. So if there's any screw-ups, I still have to cover it, and then it gets into a money situation. One thing leads to another. I mean, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, get your own business, and then you sit on the beach. I was like, well, not really. You can sit on the beach, but you see how far, that, how long that's going to last. Uh, it becomes a different thing. When you start doing it, it's different. Whatever preconceptions one might have. If someone came to you and said that they wanted to open a small business, maybe in New York specifically. Oh, uh, yeah. What tips would you give them for getting started and continuing? Well, be prepared for anything and the most unexpected. Be prepared for that. Don't think it's all going to go smooth because it's definitely not. And when it does go smooth, appreciate it. And when it doesn't, try to make it go smooth again, get it back on track. Don't become obsessed with anything, especially money, because money, you get a thousand today and you ain't got nothing tomorrow, and that's all, you know, money comes and goes all the time. And put the money to the right places. Make sure you pay your taxes. You definitely don't want them hassling you, because that's the biggest thing that can get you. And build in your hang time, unless you don't, I mean, some people really don't need it, and whatever they're doing, maybe it is a 24-7 thing for them, you know, if that's the case, good, but you should always have some point where you get away, you just, uh just so you can step back and look at it and say, oh, okay, this is what's happening, you know, that's what's going on. And be hands-on, I think. I mean, I think a lot of times people open up businesses and they think they're going to hire people and then they're not even around. And you see that a lot. You know, you look around, there's a lot of people who aren't there when it's their business and they wonder why it goes down. I mean, because nobody's going to care. And it's not saying anything bad on anybody, but no one will care. If it's your thing, no one's going to care as much as you. So... And people who come into your place or do business with you, they can see who's really, who's caring and who's not. I think you gotta, you gotta be prepared to put your time in, and be willing to do that, sacrifice for it. But also take, you know, step back, see what's up, have some fun time, and go from there. You know, enjoy it. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the whole thing. You can't just be judging it every day like as if it's a. Uh, you know, oh, like that, you know, you can't be going to the coal mines. And if you are, and then you're doing the wrong thing. You should try, you know, do something you like. If you don't like people, don't open up a store. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's one thing. <laughs> How do you think that it's affected the Source Unlimited to be in New York? Oh, I think, I think it's, I don't think it could, it's, uh, could be anywhere else. I don't think this could be anywhere else. I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't even know if it could, if it was now, if, it, if this could be now. I mean, it, it, it was of its time to start it. And to be able to start it, it was kind of like the wild, wild west around here. So you could just do it. We had a store, it was cheap. Do it. If it didn't work, find something else. And uh, and there was a lot of places like that. So being here, and not just in New York, but in the East Village, I mean, it's definitely, I think we're as tied into the place as uh, the place is tied into us, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think this would work in, in a suburb or something like that. I mean, it might, but I don't know. I mean, I don't think I could work in a suburb, so I mean, that that would probably be what it, you know. I came here when I was uh, 21 or something, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I, I like, to me, the city's it. I mean, these people, you know, people that have come across and everything, oh, you know, they're having kids, oh, you don't want to raise the kids here. I was like, why wouldn't you raise your kids here? It's New York City, man. If you have the opportunity to, why wouldn't you, man? It's the best place in the world. Really, I mean. Even despite how much it's changed? Well, yeah, I mean, it's always changed. I mean, it's not like it was in the 50s. It's not like it was in the 60s. But it's the way it is in 2019. And 2029 is going to be different. And that's the good thing. But the thing that will always be, I mean, or your hope will always be, there's always going to be 
you know, you go into a, a classroom or something, there's like five different nationalities. And, you know, you go to a store, there's there'd be an Indian guy owning one store, there's an African owning another store, there's a Ukrainian person owning another one. I mean, where are you going to see that? I mean, and everybody's on the same block doing that thing, and we're all in there doing it. I mean, it's like, you know, you don't get to see that really anywhere. I mean, there are a few international cities in the world, but, I mean, there's only one New York. No matter what anybody tells me, you know, my friend goes, oh, it ain't what it used to be. It doesn't have that same, uh, what do you say, like cachet that it used to. I don't, I don't buy that at all, man. I mean, and Brooklyn's nice, okay, but it ain't New York, man. You know, it ain't the East Village. So, you know, all these other places are like what New York is. You know, everything else is like. And when you get out there, you see that. Once you've been here for a while, we were driving through, I think it was, uh, it was Taos, and then we were driving through Boulder. And yeah, they got mountains and all that stuff. I mean, that, and that's what that is. But... You know, oh, this is like the village. I was like, all right, but I'm in the village, man. So, you know, this is nice, but, you know, I'll see it for a day or two, but then I'm <laughs> out of here. I mean, you know, here, you can walk up and down here, you know, take two weeks and just go walking around. Sideways tells you that. Exactly, you, that's what I get to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, you see the difference. You walk around next two weeks from there, you're going to see all different stuff. Yeah. It happens all the time, man. I mean, that's New York. In your face evolution every day. That's the works of it, man. It's like, that's New York. I mean, this is where it's at. You know, it's fast. It's all of that. You got more people on one block than, you know, some countries. And when the trains, you know, the fact that they work at all, to me, is, is mind-boggling. I mean, really. <laughs> That's you know, what I always say. <laughs> people complain, but and then you hear, oh, you know, a million people a day ride. A million people a day ride the trains. And they've been up since, like, 1930 or something. So, yeah, there's going to be issues. I mean, but where else are you going to go that that's even been around that long? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it has that many people. And, and New York kind of people who don't necessarily treat things with kid gloves. I mean, they're always doing what they do. I think it's a, it's a great place. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Ellie, and this has been a podcast by Manhattan Sideways. If you're interested in learning more about this business or about the thousands of other small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan, be sure to check out our website, www.sideways.nyc, and follow us on social media, at NY Sideways. See you next time.